0: Welcome to the University of South Dakota's podcast, Credit Hour. We know the COVID-19 global health pandemic is raising all sorts of questions about the way we live. Over the next several weeks, we plan to share the perspectives of some of our faculty in fields like public health, economics, education, and more, in hopes they can shed light on this situation and the path forward. As always, thank you for listening, and go Yotes. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Dr. Leah Presbo, a USD graduate and family medicine practitioner in the Sioux Falls area, about her personal experience with COVID-19 as both a medical professional and a patient. Dr. Presbo, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm feeling very well and uh, happy to be uh, back um, at work after um, after my experience there and really just uh, privileged to be um, doing what I can for for the community during this time, so...
0: Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your experience at USD um, and your journey into medicine?
1: So I can uh, certainly as far as uh, my journey at USD, I uh, graduated from high school in 1999 and then uh, did my um, undergraduate biology degree and a chemistry minor at USD and then uh, went to med school uh, following that at USD as well. And then after that, um, I was a resident here at the Sioux Falls Family Medicine Residency, and so um, my journey has been uh, very much a, a South Dakota one, as far as that goes. I uh, grew up on a dairy farm in western South Dakota prior to that, and um, just have been a South Dakota girl all my life. So,
0: now you okay. said that you're specializing in family medicine, correct?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm curious, you know, how has the COVID nineteen pandemic, I guess, impacted your practice?
1: So it's really been a, quite a lot of different changes. You know, obviously our primary goal is to keep everybody as safe as possible, right? So, in a pandemic, that really changes the way that you look at your medical practice in general. You know, typically we're trying to do a lot of preventive medicine, and that's still important, but the timing has changed quite a bit. So, you know, we may be pushing off physicals a little bit until things kind of calm down and there's less risk. You know, we are definitely leveraging. Technology at this point to try to see people uh, virtually as often as we can, and so quite a lot of my practice now is virtual visits, or you know visits over the phone, or v- with video technology. And there are a lot of things that we can evaluate that way, so that we can keep everybody as safe at home as possible. We've also um, the the organization that I work for has been really forward thinking um, in getting things prepared for, you know, when we do have the surge. And, you know, if we are in that kind of situation, we actually have a specific pathway for people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19, a 24 hour a day hotline that they can call and, you know, get um, even access to video visits with providers at any hour of the day if something's going on with them. We also developed a specific clinic for people who are having respiratory symptoms, so that we can try to kind of keep those patients that are having symptoms that are you know potentially related to COVID nineteen separate as much as possible from patients who would have to come in for a more routine thing or a different kind of an issue. So, we have a respiratory clinic and a regular clinic, and we um, the. People in my practice are staffing both of those things. So there's been changes in like hours, changes in how the clinic is structured, changes in how we're doing things, and really changes in how we're leveraging technology to help us take care of patients while still keeping everybody as safe as possible.
0: You know, you talked about the notion of a surge, um, which I think refers obviously to the amount of. Um, medical equipment and personnel that will be used um, when we sort of reach the Mm -hmm. peak COVID-19 virus levels. I mean, have you noticed in your practice, I mean, is it busier? You you talked about, obviously, um, the shift, I think, to telehealth. I mean, how has it impacted it just as far as like a workflow standpoint?
1: So, you know, at this point, obviously, we're having a a bit of a change in the number of visits we see per day and really um, are experiencing, at least from my Point in the practice, a bit of a calm before the storm, right? So I'm definitely seeing more patients who have symptoms that would relate to COVID 19, those types of things, and we're trying to see those patients virtually as much as possible. But overall, volumes have gone down somewhat recently, you know, just for regular patients, because we're trying to delay things that don't absolutely have to be done right now, so that we can keep people at home as much as possible and as safe as possible. So certain things that would be more routine, like a regular yearly physical, we're sort of encouraging people to maybe wait a couple more months or a month or so, and do that once the, you know, the danger has subsided a little bit.
0: You know, what advice are you giving patients and families um, who think they might have the virus or just about the virus in general?
1: So about the virus in general, you know, really um, what I encourage all of my patients and really people in general to do is just work on those social distancing measures and staying away from each other as much as possible. I know we as humans are social animals and we really crave and want that social interaction. And that's true across the board. Um, But really, the best way to keep yourself and others safe is to maintain that social distance. Try to avoid any kind of excursions or interactions that aren't necessary. You know, don't go to the store just to pick up something you don't necessarily need. And especially for my patients who are in a higher risk group, I'm really encouraging them to stay home, to have family members help them as far as dropping maybe their groceries off on the front porch, those kinds of things, so they don't have to go out at all and expose themselves to the potential risk.
0: You know, for people with Children, I, th- I think about you know members of my family. Um, mm-hmm. you know, their kids always seem to be you know have a sniffle or, or something. You know how can I, I guess families distinguish um, you know just a normal flu bug or, or cold bug between something more serious like COVID nineteen or even influenza.
1: Right. So, you know, that's that's very difficult. The thing that I would have to say about COVID-19 as far as as a virus is it's just dark, it's sneaky, you know, and um, it can really present it with no or even mild symptoms. There are people who have COVID-19 and never show any symptoms at all. Um, some people will just have a sniffle and never get a fever. Some people just get a fever. And it, it, it really can act like just a mild cold or even a um, or even a mild flu bug. At this point, as far as influenza is concerned, we're kind of on the tail end of influenza season. We're really seeing a lot fewer cases of influenza. So um, it's less likely that that would be a major issue, but you're right. Little kids are going to get a lot of different viral things. COVID-19 is also a viral thing, so it can look very similar. Um, And many people do have very mild disease from COVID-19. The concern is just that, it can be severe as well. So really the best advice is if you're feeling sick, stay home and stay away from other people. So in case it is that, you're not going to be spreading it around.
0: You know, when is it time to go to the hospital? I, I know that, um, you know, obviously the, the disorder kind of presents itself differently, I think, to different people. Some, for right. some, it's more serious than others. I mean,
1: absolutely.
0: when, in your opinion, would it be time to seek medical attention?
1: So, you know, if there's any uh, doubt in your mind or if you're experiencing symptoms and you're worried or concerned about that, I'd say the very first step would be to call your doctor or your doctor's office. It, it, they're always going to have someone available for you to talk to at any time of the day or night uh, They can help answer your questions and kind of go through those whatever symptoms you might be having so that you can determine whether or not it's a time to go in um, you know whether you need to actually go in or whether you can have a virtual visit to help evaluate those symptoms or whether there are other measures that they can tell you to take you know just to um to kind of help with some of the symptoms. Um, Things, though, that I think are very important at this time is to remember that people still have things like heart attacks and strokes and serious medical problems that go on, too. And what we're seeing is actually, and even on a national level, sometimes people are afraid to go into the hospital because of the pandemic that we have going on. And so they might not get the attention and care because they just don't go in for some of those severe things. So I guess I would encourage still at this point, you know, if you are having severe chest pain or symptoms of a stroke, like difficulty speaking or weakness on one or the other side of your body, or if you're having, you know, very severe shortness of breath where you're not able to finish a sentence without gasping for air and those sorts of things, those would be times to consider going to the emergency department, just in general and always, even during a pandemic. Um, Again, though, if you have any kind of questions Or if there's any doubt in your mind, calling your primary doctor's office and talking either to the person on call or to your doctor directly can be, um, in other circumstances, as long as you don't have something very, very serious going on, the best first step. Just so that you can have that peace of mind and they can help kind of guide your decisions about what the safest thing to do is.
0: No, I, I appreciate all that information that you have been able to provide us. I, I mean, obviously, one of the reasons that we were really excited to speak with you today um, is that you have a personal experience with COVID nineteen. Um, can you just tell us, um, from your perspective, what happened?
1: Yeah, so um, I, as I said, we're trying very hard to do our best to keep everybody as safe as we can in the clinic. You know, the one thing about being a healthcare professional is we are the kind of people who do have to still go to work, and we um, interact with our coworkers while there. We interact with patients if they, if we need to. While there, obviously, you know, if, if we need to bring somebody in physically. And so part of what I really encourage, you know, as far as the general population is to keep that social distance, because obviously there are some of us who cannot, um, so my personal uh, situation as I uh, was exposed to COVID-19 um, from a co-worker who ended up, she had no symptoms initially and did end up coming down with some symptoms um, while at clinic, went home, did all the right things, um, isolated herself, et cetera. But in that period of time that we worked together, um, I did get exposed, and days later, um, I uh, did come down with, uh, coronavirus and was diagnosed with COVID-19. So, uh, that, that would be kind of how my, uh, journey with that, um, particular experience began. I was very lucky and had only mild symptoms, um, during the course of my illness, but, uh, you know, the really big thing, you know, and the thing that you always worry about, especially in a position like my own is being sure that you don't expose anyone else, obviously. And so, um, those were some of the main things They're just that that concern. So, you know,
0: I, I, I'm not sure I heard you how many days after um, sort of you learned that you may have been exposed? Um, were you tested?
1: Uh, So, I I, uh, was exposed, I I developed symptoms about 13 days after my um, exposure. And it can be up to 14 or even 15 days after an exposure that a person develops symptoms. And so that was what really triggered me to uh, go get tested. So, I developed a a headache and uh, congestion and also a mild cough. And because I knew that there was that potential from before, I went in, um, I actually called the Coronavirus hotline and got uh, tested the following morning. So,
0: for your specific organization, Avera, what is that number?
1: So, it's one eight seven seven at Avera, and uh, that they can walk you through. Um, even if you're concerned you might have coronavirus, they can walk you through some of those things. Um, also, it's the uh, place that people would call if they have been diagnosed and are uh, seeking follow up or noticing additional symptoms. If they can call that number, or of course their primary doctor's office too, but we're really trying to have that centralized service available as well for people who are um, currently and actively um, infected. So, mm-hmm.
0: you know, I've read online that people report, you know, different sypt- symptoms, You talked about, um, <laughs> you know, the congestion, Um, and a little bit of a cough. I've heard that people sometimes experience like a loss of taste or even smell. Um, Mm -hmm. Some develop a pretty bad fever. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what are the symptoms and maybe what should people be looking for?
1: Right. So main things that people should look for uh, would be cough, fever, obviously alterations in taste and smell. Some people do get, uh, you know, gastrointestinal issues. So things like diarrhea or nausea and vomiting along with it. Um, There have been a lot of other uh, sort of things kind of just generally described as well. And it can honestly, as far as we know of this virus, again, it's brand new. uh, So we don't know a whole lot about it yet. We know some things, but uh, it seems that it can really affect Nearly any body system. So, really, if you're having the big symptoms again, would be the fever, cough, um, shortness of breath, uh, loss of taste or smell, headache can come along with it, body aches, um, the nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, those kinds of things can also come along. Um, with that as well. So those are sort of the main things, but really a lot of other possible complications too. And also, um, it can be very mild in, um, in some people, and it can be very, very severe in others, right? So we have everything ranging from the experience as a patient of, a, of sort of a mild cold and it's COVID-19, all the way up to someone who's in the ICU on a ventilator, very seriously ill, and obviously life-threatening and, and dying in those cases sometimes as well.
0: You know, how many days did you experience the symptoms? I mean, how, how did the illness progress?
1: Yeah, so um, again, that, that first day, I uh, just had a bit of a headache, and then that developed into uh, cough and congestion. And I actually never developed a fever, which is a little atypical. Most people do. Um, but there are some that don't, obviously. Uh, and so, you know, I, I kind of had those sort of symptoms, just sort of the cough and headache off and on um over the course of the next about 7 to 10 days and uh, then that uh, the cough started getting better you know it kind of got better gradually over the last few days of that and um uh then it eventually went away so
0: you know what is the test like
1: uh, so they take a swab and they swab something called your nasopharynx. So what, what happens is that, uh, the, the swab is inserted through your nostril all the way back into kind of the very far back part of your upper throat. Okay. And so it uh, definitely has a little bit of a burn to it. They do both nostrils and, uh, it's really very quick though. The people who do it are expert at doing so and well-trained and, um, And so it's over pretty quickly. But I wouldn't say it's the most pleasant thing I've ever done, but it's certainly not the least pleasant thing I've ever done. (laughs)
0: Um, For sure. I mean, what sort of precautions did you have to take, um, you know, at home or around your practice and patients?
1: Right, so obviously, while I was infected, I was not uh, seeing patients uh, physically at all in my practice, um, and uh, the we I was out of work for those times, so I, I stayed home at that time and self isolated, and so uh, and really self quarantined. And the recommendation from the CDC is that a person who is actively infected and having symptoms would be uh, completely isolated in a single room. Now, luckily, we do have. Uh, a space in my house where there's a bedroom with a bathroom connected and uh, really what what we did, um, myself and my husband, he's another family doctor as well. but um, So we were very aware when I started developing symptoms that this was a possibility. And I retreated to that room with the bathroom and basically stayed in there without leaving for about, about 10 days. So not the most fun, but definitely necessary. And the concept there is really to keep any viruses that you might be shedding into the environment as a patient uh, contained to that smaller space so that you're not putting people that you live with at risk Um, and so really what we did is we tried to kind of control um, I wore a mask anytime that the door needed to be opened for my husband to pass in food for me to eat or you know take out garbage etc and uh, we were really and he also wore a mask at those times and gloves Um, and so we were really very careful to try to make sure that nothing that I was touching or interacting with would be also in his environment because quite frankly that would have put him at uh, risk too now as a result of the fact that he's my husband and lives in the same house as me it's also a recommendation that that person stay uh self-isolated or quarantined for uh 14 days after the last time that they were exposed to the infectious person so he's actually also been at home off work um isolating um, as well until, uh, that 14 day time frame is up, which it, it is for him at this point. But so, yeah, also staying, staying in the house, not going out, family members were dropping off groceries on the doorstep, those kinds of things.
0: I mean, that had to be really difficult. I mean, I, I'm here in Vermilion and so you know, I'm self isolating, but I still can go on a walk, you know, around campus, right. you know, it's, it's pretty, right. um, you know, not a lot of people here right now. So in, in that sense, it's nice to be able to get outdoors. I mean, what, was it like mentally to be diagnosed with the virus um, and then just have to go through that experience?
1: Yeah, so um, I would certainly say that there is a psychological impact. I'm not normally the type of person to sit alone in a room all day. Obviously, usually my life is quite a lot more active than that. Luckily, I was able to still do some of my, you know, work uh, and help through, you know, emails and also. Uh, I did have a computer in the room with me, so I could answer patient questions and things like that, and still engage in some other act- engage in some activities in spite of being, you know isolated in a room. So that was helpful psychologically. But um, I would say it's difficult uh, because especially in my position, I know uh, the potential risks that I, uh, as an infected person, uh, posed to the people around me. And I would say my biggest fear, was that someone I had been around or my husband was going to develop symptoms, become ill, and then it would be severe. Um, also, of course, you know, you uh, you sit there, you know, you, you sit there with relative inactivity and allows your brain to, to move on, on different things. And you wonder if tomorrow is going to be the day that you get much worse. And so there's that um, sort of personal fear as well, you know, but Ultimately, I think um, as far as the self-quarantine was concerned, I was able to keep myself in a reasonable routine and, um, you know, just making yourself kind of get up and shower and dress at the same time every day and things of that nature to, to keep that mental structure in place. And there was a lot of motivation um, to, to do this right, you know, because I definitely was motivated to keep everyone else safe. And um, and that's a very strong motivation, obviously, especially for someone who's chosen a and not 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 just for everyone, but especially someone who's chosen a, a life in medicine where really our primary goal and purpose is to keep everyone safe. So,
0: you know, what advice I guess would you give someone who may become infected with COVID-19? I mean, are there ways that we can take care of ourselves at home when we're in those situations?
1: Right. So mainly the treatment, as far as COVID-19 is concerned, is all supportive, right? So we don't have a drug that we can use to decrease the symptoms or that we know will work to decrease the symptoms at this point. And so what we really do for patients is to support them. And basically the things that you can do for yourself as far as to support your um, your recovery at home, staying well hydrated, getting plenty of rest, those are important things. And then making that contact with your healthcare team or, you know, the COVID hotline, et cetera, if you are feeling worse, you know, if you are experiencing new symptoms and you have a question, there are lots of things that can be done to kind of help with those symptoms, you know, an inhaler if you're having trouble breathing or a cough suppressant if needed, or, you know, just um, general advice on positioning if you're having difficulty breathing, things like that, um, that your healthcare team can really help you with. So not hesitating to reach out um, to them. Uh, especially because really your mind can, um, can take you some scary places if you're, you know, locked alone in a room and sick. So,
0: you know, what was the process like reintegrating back into a normal routine after such a strict quarantine?
1: Yeah. So it, uh, it's, it's definitely been uh, different, obviously, uh, even at this point, you know, um, I'm still wearing a mask every time I'm around another person, uh, doing very, uh, religious as we should all be doing hand hygiene. Um, and just being careful to really acknowledge uh, those surfaces that I touch, that other people might touch, and make sure to wipe those down and things like that, um, it's it, it, it's definitely been interesting. It was um, a hard decision, you know, knowing the potential risk, even when I decided to or when we decided it was safe for me to come out of the single room quarantine, um, just that little bit of apprehension initially because you certainly don't want to put anybody else at risk, but ultimately understanding and being careful about things to do with yourself and your environment to prevent any virus that may still be shedded um, from getting into anybody else's space. But yeah, definitely different. And of course I stayed off work um, until uh, until the illness had been improving and I was a, obviously a febrile, so there was a little less concern there, but until I'd been improving and working just trying to keep um, any, anybody I interact with at work as safe as possible. Really, we've been doing mostly virtual visits at this point yet still just, uh, just to make sure that everything is clear um, before I'm re- reintegrating myself with patients
0: you know obviously you have so much knowledge just from a medical standpoint professional standpoint
1: i'm i guess
0: i'm curious just from a personal standpoint though has having had this um virus influenced the way that you view covid-19 at all
1: Um, So, you know, definitely I take it very seriously. You know, I think about um, the exposure that I had and how really brief and mild that was. It really makes you respect the virus. You know, I um, obviously we were being careful even at that point, but um, just respecting that that virus is motivated by its biology, right, to um, spread itself as much as it can. And so we have to respect that and understand that, we don't have control over everything that that virus is going to do. So it's, it's been very humbling in that way. You know, you can be extremely careful and it can still happen. Um, but just, you know, respecting the virus and respecting, um, that, um, not everything is within our control. So,
0: you know, is there anything else you'd like to add just for our audience, maybe something about COVID-19 or, um, just staying healthy, um, you know, kind of during this period?
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, we definitely have a lot of different um, things that have changed in our lives over the course of the last few weeks. I mean, things that I would have done a couple of months ago that seemed just completely different now and one of those is the amount of, of physical activity we're actually getting I mean it's, it's difficult when you're no longer going to a job in general during a pandemic and you're maybe working from home and a lot of things have changed but very very important to continue to do what you can to get physical exercise uh, you know a lot of us are used to like running around at our offices and or even just running around or being really active during our day during our jobs, and we're not getting that activity. So especially with the summer coming and we've got beautiful sunshine outside, one of the main things that I really would recommend is just getting out and going for walks. Of course, maintaining that social distance with everybody else, but you know, get get active, get outside. You know, um, make sure that you're being physically active. Also balanced diet and watching calories, which is another thing that can be difficult if you're uh, holed up at home and uh, maybe a little more convenient snacks are around for you. So watching those things, because again, you know, this pandemic is the most clear and present danger to our health right now. But over time, obviously, everything that we would worry about on a regular day, like making sure we stay fit and healthy and avoiding things like coronary artery disease by doing so, those, those risks don't go away so um i guess i would just say keeping yourself healthy um in a dietary and exercise perspective cuz the healthier you are the more likely you are to be able to fight off the virus if you do get it um and also the more you know more likely you are to just be a healthy person moving forward with your life but in general yeah staying healthy would be best and i really want everybody to keep in mind that you know Some people do get lucky and have very mild disease from the COVID-19, but um, others really don't. And we don't have a perfect way of predicting that. Obviously, we know that people who are older and have more chronic medical conditions are at a higher risk, but young people do also get very sick as well. So just taking it really seriously and um, doing everything we can to keep ourselves and to help keep everyone else healthy is the best thing we can do at this point.
0: Um, Dr. Prespa, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing your perspective, both your medical expertise and also just your personal experience with all of this. Um, Thank you also for the work that you're doing right now um, as a doctor in the medical field. Obviously, it's important all the time, but never more critical. And we're also thankful just that you were able to recover um, as well as you have. And um, we just really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I just want to, you know, uh, give a give a shout out to my uh, nurses and uh, all of the people who are on the front line, really, even, you know, in uh, ancillary but essential services, like uh, even the people at the grocery store who still are having to go to work at this time. And I think it's just really important for us to appreciate everyone, all of those frontline workers, whether they're in healthcare or other um, necessary sector jobs who are doing what they can to keep life moving forward um, during this time. And I just I really admire all those people and I'm privileged to work with a lot of really exceptional people at this time as well.
0: So I just want to say thank you yep. again. And just it was a great interview, so really appreciated your perspective. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour. Stick with us as we continue to bring you new information and perspectives surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe, and stay home. Go Yotes!